0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Parenting After Trauma podcast. Thrilled you joined us again here today. I am here with my friend and colleague, Emily Reed Daniels. You probably remember Emily from a podcast we did, gosh, at the end of 2021. Emily was part of the school educator series that I did at the end of 2021. I'll make sure that that gets linked in the show notes, in case you didn't hear that previous episode or you didn't even know I had a school series, it was a pretty awesome series with really great guests, so I'll make sure y'all can check that out after you finish today's episode with Emily. Emily, it's great to have you back. Thanks for joining us again.
1: Thank you, Robin. I'm so delighted to be here and to get a chance to nerd out and chat about all things related to regulation.
0: Exactly. The kinds of things we enjoy talking about are pretty funny, aren't they? Well, I want to just get started. So it's been almost a whole year. I don't remember exactly, but it was last fall when I was doing that educator series. And so we've had a whole school year since then plus like the couple months of the 2022, 23 school year, obviously. Mm-hmm. So tell us just about what's happening in schools now. What are you seeing mm-hmm. happening in schools?
1: Yeah, well, a lot. I mean, it's interesting because definitely we're in a very different state, I would say from a year ago, um, you know, and, What I mean by that is a year ago, I feel like at least I'll speak to my own personal experience. That's a little bit, you know, from I'm speaking from a professional perspective as well. But um, a lot of educators were describing being at school as just incredibly stressful Yeah, and um, that the kids were off the hook. Um, my own children were coming home from school saying, I absolutely hate it, mom. It feels like a prison. It's like a war zone. Like, it just was bad in every way. Um, and I feel like this school year started off far more optimistic and there was more levity, I would say, in the energy about school than I had experienced in the previous couple falls as a consultant. Um and I think that's not, that's no small thing. And I think that's partly because we, at least here where I am in New Hampshire, educators and students were no longer required to wear masks and to socially yeah. distance and to engage in all the protocols, um, the health precautions and protocols. And so that enabled people to be more socially engaged, actually. Yes. Because yeah. unfortunately, that is a consequence of um, thwarting the virus, is that it, limits our social engagement. Yeah. so that I think that really helps a lot. Um, but I will say that what we're seeing is that the honeymoon has sort of um, started to fade a bit. Here we are in mid-november which or late November and this is a hard time of year for most educators. It's the dip, the first dip of the year, uh, big dip. And so um, people are expressing concern related to student behaviors still expressing concern related to student mental health needs, um, expressing concern related to their own level of energy or tolerance like their bandwidth. So, yeah, I think that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm seeing and hearing about.
0: Yeah. So in some ways, definitely seeing improvement, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. And, and I know we have kids about the same age and that feels similar to my own son's experience at school that things Feel a little, I don't know, kind of quote unquote back to normal. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And then, but, you know, with my clinical therapist hat on, like that's so often when challenging and traumatic symptoms arise, right? Like it's yeah, when exactly. we get to the other side of a crisis mm-hmm. and we're all just so focused on, you know, getting through, mm-hmm. it feels like we've kind of gotten through. Mm-hmm. And that starts to feel like when things can kind of come on, un, come undone a little
1: bit. Yeah, and bubble up for sure, for sure, and bubble up again. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's not an exaggeration to say that, and this is how I talk about it in the regulated classroom, is that um, we've endured a collective trauma through yes. this pandemic. Yes. Yeah. And it has many facets and um, many things that are still in play. Um, not the least of which is the incredible polarization that we experience um, on a political level, but that actually trickles right into the classroom. So, you know, you have a fair amount of teachers saying, I'm scared of my parents. Like, I don't want to have to really communicate concerns to my parents because I worry about how they'll respond to that. And will I be the object of their rage? Um, You know, and there's just been other matters related to schools that have gotten politicized and, Um, whether that's certain content, academic content or, um, yeah, just, I mean, just a number of things. So, yeah, on the one hand, I agree. I feel like the quote unquote return to normal has been um, regulating for some, like it's great to see my son have a full season of soccer and do all the the things that he would do in high school and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, um not everyone experiences school in the way that he does he's fortunate too so um yeah i see it i see it i see that settling settling out um being a struggle for others Yeah and work and in in my work and in that setting
0: Yeah, let's remind everybody and then for people who haven't caught our previous episode just about who you are and what you do. Like you aren't a teacher. And so Mm -hmm. what is the work that you do that's supporting our educators?
1: Yeah, so I'm a former, proud to be a a former school counselor. And um, I left the profession of school counseling in 2017 to start my own trauma-informed schools consultancy. And from there, I provided professional development to teachers and educators um, around the impacts of trauma on um, the developing brain and body. From there, a lot of folks were asking the question of like, great information, love hearing this stuff. I always knew there was something going on here, but what am I supposed to do with this information? And so I developed a framework that's actually primarily focused on the, the educator themselves first and foremost. Um, and understanding the impact of their experiences on their own bodies and their body's um, stress response titration or, or calibration, rather, um, and, and teaching them how to co-regulate with their students. So I bring that whole polyvagal regulation lens to the educator experience, starting with them individually, and then through my framework, teach them how to co-regulate with kids and to make their classrooms safer, more joyful environments.
0: Yeah. Well, you say more, you just use the word safer. And mm. I assume most of my listeners kind of know what we are saying when we talk about safety, but mm-hmm. just on the off chance for maybe new listeners, say more what you mean about safe safety in the classroom.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, because a lot of times in education, we think about, at least I was trained this way, when you think about safety, you think about things that could inflict physical harm um, or things that might make you liable. So you'll do things in a a classroom environment to reduce physical harm or um, litigation of some kind. And that's fine, but that's not what makes us actually experience a state of felt safety, which is a regulated state in our body's experience. So those kinds of, so feeling safe in class that enables us to be, to learn and to relate and to engage with one another um, is about recognizing that we can convey specific cues of safety through our relational ways of being and through the environment in the classroom that will help all, it enables more and many more to feel a part of something and to feel safe with one another and to feel a sense of belonging. So that's what I'm trying to help educators with.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because there is an obvious discussion to be had around physical safety in the classroom right Mm -hmm. now. Um, with th- th- what we read about in the news and what's happening with active shooters and even mm-hmm. active shooter drills mm-hmm. in our schools and in our mm-hmm. classrooms and and how obviously that's very related to physical safety and to make sure that we're looking at it so much more broadly than that when thinking about. The, the felt safety. And I think that's one of my favorite things about your work is, I don't know anybody who's talking as much about the grown ups felt safety in the classroom, right? The educators, mm-hmm. the teachers, and really prioritizing their nervous system regulation.
1: Right. Which is why your work and my work is so, you know, um, yeah. symbiotic. right. right. Because, and, and so a couple of things that you're mentioning that I appreciate you bringing up, which is that um, most of the time when we talk about safety in schools, we talk, we people automatically think about exactly what you just said, yeah. which is securing the school environment or the school setting. And Dr. Porges, who is the gentleman who developed the polyvagal theory, has been a mentor of mine, and he's somebody that... Um, you know, I look to him often when I talk about these matters to make sure that I'm aligning with his work accurately. But well, one of the things that he is so happy that I I am um, always emphasizing is the use of our language, like how we talk about these things, because there is absolutely a place in this day and age with school shooters to to be considering and to be planning for securing a school environment. Yes. But what poor just wants us to remember is that some of the ways in which we might secure our environment also offers cues of danger. So when children come to school and they are in, you know, the school building itself is like in a barricaded, fenced in area with metal detectors and bulletproof and you can't talk to, you know, you can't even get in the door. You have to ring a door. Like all of these things are just reminding our bodies that we're in danger. So what are we doing to offset or to counter or to temper those measures that we take to secure a locale with cues of safety? Like, how are we sending a warmth and a welcoming and a, you know, it was funny, my daughter last year um, was really struggling with school. And so I took her to a private school to tour it and... (laughs) I can't tell you because it was in the midst of COVID and like you know all the restrictions around you know physical distancing and masking and stuff. I was so delighted when we walked up to this school to see this giant banner that just said "Welcome, we are so delighted you're here." Mm. And I know that sounds silly because it's just a it's just a banner, but I almost started crying yeah. because at that moment, you know, that was such I I was searching for a cue like that, yes. you know, and I wanted her to see that, and so these things that we might say are seemingly unimportant are actually really, really important right now. Um, not that a single banner would do enough, but I'm just saying it's it's one of what needs to be many cues of safety yeah. to temper all the things we do to secure our schools.
0: Well, when you see a banner like that hanging somewhere, you get a little information about the culture of that environment. Exactly. And so like, exactly. like in my work, I often tell parents to kind of hang up pictures of the owl brain or the watchdog brain or the possum brain. Like I have some graphics and I'm often recommending mm-hmm. like put these on your fridge because for many reasons, but one is the cue of in our family, our culture is that we see beneath the behavior and we we get curious about what's going on. And Like hanging something up on your fridge, just like you said, that in and of itself, yeah, that's not enough. (laughs) Just like a banner is not enough, but it says so much about what else is happening in that school. And it does send an immediate cue, just like it's an immediate cue of safety for you Mm -hmm. to see like, Oh, this is a place that values delight.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, um, and then they were able to really, demonstrate that the moment we walked through the doors too. I mean, yeah. students that were in the hall just immediately stopped where they were going and greeted us. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. You know, I just, those cues really make a difference and they matter right now. Yeah. So
0: I love thinking you know. about the ability for these pieces to come together for like the, the reality based on policy and circumstances of the, the ways that schools are secure in a way that's different than like certainly when I went to school, right? Mm-hmm. And the reality of that and instead of spending a lot of time focusing on on what's wrong with that, thinking about how can we and by, when I mean like what's wrong with that, I mean like what are the negative consequences of right. that, you know, environment. How can we pair it with mm-hmm. other Mm-hmm. experiences or other very deliberate cues of safety. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do with the regulated classroom. It's like here are the practices, here are the tools, these are the things that we know when used in tandem convey an abundance in terms of cues of safety and yeah. they help us to feel safe in the work that we're doing with the children and they help us to feel connected to our students and connected to our colleagues. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to, to help educators with, with the regulated classroom.
0: So obviously before we spend a ton of time focusing on like sending cues of safety to our kids or to our students, if we're talking about the classrooms. We really do have to think about our own nervous system and the regulation mm-hmm. of our own nervous system and the level mm-hmm. of health safety we're experiencing in our bodies. Tell us mm-hmm. how you approach that with, Teachers,
1: yeah, so um, one of the so there's only two essential educator capacities that are part of the framework. Yeah. One is called tracking state, and the other is called recruiting the realm of social engagement. Which I borrow that language from Dr. Gorgias. but yeah. tracking state is huge and it's not unique to the regulated classroom, but I would say that it's unique to um, any frameworks I've seen for social emotional learning in schools because when we're alive in our own body's experience, we can know whether or not we're we're regulated, right? So if I am alive in my dysregulation, like I I can locate it like, oh, I feel it in my belly or it's like tension in my chest or I'm having a hard time talking because there's a lump in my throat. Like those are all sensations that are cueing me to the dysregulation that I'm experiencing in my body. So- when I talk with educators and, and train them in the approach, one of the first things I'm emphasizing is what's happening for you in this moment. So like this morning, I was at a training at a local school and I went in and I um, I'd put a bunch of rhythm sticks down on the chairs. And when I first walked into the training, I asked folks to pick their rhythm sticks up. And I started playing a piece of music and I invited them to bang the sticks together or to get up and to go around the room and bang on anything they wanted. Well, as you might imagine, the moment I put the music on, they almost all were like, (laughs) they were like cockroaches when the lights go on. They were like, (gasps) like they just stopped. Like they almost froze in place. And so I use an experience like that to help them actually feel their discomfort Um, because that's what a lot of them will report like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't bang the sticks together because I was afraid that I wouldn't be on, on the beat or I was afraid of what others would think of me or I was, you know, and they talk and they describe all these things and I'm like, okay, well, tell me what was happening in your body. And they're like, well, my stomach started to turn. I'm like, exactly. Or my heart rate picked up. Exactly. Like I'm actually giving them opportunities to really be alive and to locate that experience of stress in their body so that they can know that it's different when it shifts into a more regulated state. So, yeah, I start my trainings by dysregulating people (laughs) (laughs) because dysregulation is something that's so for most of us is really easy to kind of locate in the body.
0: Right. Well, and you do it with lots and lots of other safety pieces yeah, built yeah. into it. So there yeah. is a lot of yeah, I'm not, holding like, of that, I'm that dysregulation, <laughs> of course, which I also think is a really important experience to feel in your body that that when dysregulation is held inside experiences that have a lot of other safety pieces built into them, that the dysregulation mm-hmm. is tolerable enough to look at, to notice, to be with. Because of course the goal is not to get rid of dysregulation. That would be futile. Not even going to happen. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly. no, No. And what I'm really trying to do, which is what I think you're also accomplishing with your work too, is I'm really trying to help them to, as Deb Dana says, befriend their nervous system so get to do, get to a place where they're curious about it and their state and to help them more fluidly shift state in the presence of students and in the presence in their in their classrooms and in their staff meetings so awareness is the first you know um, most important step in trying to help them with that you're not going to be able to shift your state if you're not aware where your state so um yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing with them.
0: Yeah. Tell me about the receptivity you're getting from educators as far as like you're going in. And I know, of course you give lots of classroom tools, um, Mm -hmm. but without necessarily leading with that, which is what people tend to be asking for, especially Mm -hmm. when they're dysregulated, right? Like dysregulated Mm -hmm. people want a tool. They want you to tell Mm -hmm. them how to fix it. And so you are, of course, approaching educators the same way I'm approaching families, which is, well, we're going to start with the grown-up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me how mm-hmm. that's going. Like, how receptive are they?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting because so I, um, I just finished up in August a statewide rollout of the regulated classroom in my state of New Hampshire because the New Hampshire Department of Education decided to invest in this as a recovery method for educators experiencing fatigue and burnout. And, um, you know, the, the state thought it would take about 18 months for our state educators to claim this sort of benefit, meaning they could claim one of my sensory toolkits for free and they could claim a professional development experience for free. And so we thought it would take about 18 months for that to get fully claimed. By everyone, and it was fully claimed in four months. Whew. And I think that's because um, there is such a hungering for people to, first off, be acknowledged. Like, I think a lot of teachers and in, in classroom folks feel as though they are very invisible. And yeah. what their experience is doesn't matter because no one's asking them about it. So... I feel like the regulated classroom is genuinely or, or generally well received because people are like, thank you. Thank you for finally <laughs> acknowledging or or offering something that has to do with my experience. And, of course, I, you know, did that on purpose because I, too, was a counselor for almost 20 years working in schools and recognizing that nothing I was ever being trained in or anything I was ever doing was ever focused on my own experience in the work, Um it was all ex- exclusively focused on the students, which I get, you know, and the, they're there, you know, the reason we're there is for them, but there was something that was really inhumane about the fact that, and, and not even, it's like an ignorance. It's like there was no acknowledgement, like how I was doing would have an impact on how I could show up for the students, you know, that was just not acknowledged. So, yeah, I think for the most part, it's it's very well received, but With that, I will just say, too, that um, I have a lot of uh, respect for people who get defense mobilized with these things, you know, because the regulated classroom is very counter to a lot of our behaviorist paradigms that are prominent in our schools, Yeah. Um, and those are really well dug in, so positive behavior intervention supports PBIS is pretty much nationwide at this point, and there's even other countries that have it, and so... People can get defense mobilized if they feel like the regulated classroom is challenging PBIS. Um, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it could be, I suppose, if you want it to be challenging it. But I also think about I also like thinking about it as it's broadening your toolkit. Yeah. It's like, you know, maybe some of the things of PBIS could work for you or for students, but that's not working. Might you want to try something different?
0: You know, when I think about my son's entire academic Career. He's a junior, so it's been long at this point. That even when he is having an academic challenge, it's all happening inside of a relational challenge. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Mm -hmm. Like we do so so little, you know, for educators to support them in that realm. And I assume Mm -hmm. if it that's true for my son. That, mm-hmm. I mean, really, if I just quickly went looked through all the challenges he's had at school, I mean, since he was, since he started school, like mm-hmm. they're all relational mm-hmm. challenges mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. imagining, you know, the, the, um, the teachers having better supports for their mm-hmm. own nervous systems exactly, is so crucial. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. exactly. And just, You know, I mean, I I sort of feel like up to this point when teachers haven't maybe teachers and or I say educators, because I'm speaking to school counselors, I'm speaking to school school psychologists, occupational therapists, paraprofessionals, like there's so many people more people than just the teachers in the classroom. And this is relevant for them all. But, you know, I do feel as though um, and teachers say this, whether they're veteran or they're new, they're like, no one ever taught me like how to make a relationship with a kid, how to build a relationship with a kid. Like, I don't know how to do that. And to me, it's it, it's not so much about building the relationship as it is understanding that our own experience of stress can impact negatively our ability to connect and build a relationship with a student. Yeah. You know, and, um, and that that doesn't make us a bad person. That doesn't make us a failure. Um, that doesn't mean that we, that can't be different. It just means, you know, I mean, there are those kids... I remember joking about them with other colleagues and stuff like there are definitely those students that might have a way of being that's really triggering to your nervous system, you yeah. know? And, and, and it would be like formerly you wouldn't known where to really put that other than you might've just felt guilty or ashamed. Like what's wrong with me? This kid just annoys the crap out of me. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Or this kid makes me feel so angry and I just don't even understand, you know, like yeah. just not understanding those sorts of things. And so feel like with the regulated classroom, I give them another lens, much like what you do with your being with program, give them another lens through which to inter- interpret their experience, but more importantly, give them a whole bunch of practices and tools to help them shift that association that they currently have between between um, that student and, and being stressed. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tell us what's new with the regulated classroom because I know there is new stuff that's been happening and I want to hear about it.
1: Yeah. So I released a new and updated version of the guidebook um, late summer and that has been extremely well received. I'm very proud of it because when I first um, published the guidebook in the February of 2020 it's actually had four revisions since then but when I first published it I did it just as an accompaniment to professional development just so people could walk away and remember what the practices were that they engaged in or that they were exposed to and now it's more it's I've tried to design it as almost a standalone resource Um, and I've also tried to make it as like Sequential in its presentation. I should send this to you, Robin. If I haven't sent it to you yet, you'll notice a big difference from the first version, one of the earlier versions yeah. that you saw. But it's like I've I've gotten it now structured. So it's the the um the the why it starts with the why of like what's happened to us from the pandemic and even prior to that, to the what and then the how. And so I have it structured in that way. And I've also done some work around really distilling all this information into a very accessible easy to remember framework um with the four core practices and the two essential educator capacities and there's like visuals that i've worked to develop with steve who you know who's your who you've worked with as well um you know just everything is about trying to make it as tangible as concrete and as accessible as possible because educators are overwhelmed they're busy people they don't have time to like. You know, read a 400 page book on trauma and stress. They need they need stuff that's at their fingertips quick. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm really proud of it. And it's, 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 I'm, I've gotten received good feedback about it. And um, so that's really exciting. And, um, you know, like I said, I finished up an, a, a very successful contract with the state of New Hampshire. Um, and we've been thrilled with the outcome data from that. You know, 90% of educators who, Been trained and use the practices and tools. Report feeling more regulated and more connected to their students as a result of it. Um, You know, it's just—I mean, the 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 data that has come out of this program has been astounding, and it's really reassuring to me because, like, I know because I can see through the course of a training that what we're doing does make a difference, um, or that it does support regulation for these educators. But it's just really affirming for me to actually see it in the data. Um, So yeah, it's exciting and and a lot of exciting stuff ahead in 2023. No
0: kidding. I mean, when I think about just how things have shifted since we've been in the field, I assume you and I are Mm -hmm. approximately the same age, though I've never asked, (laughs) but I've assumed we've been doing this work for about the same amount of time. And I think some of it's my own professional growth and then Mm -hmm. some of it's the way that, you know, things have shifted and changed that we mm-hmm. are able to spend time and attention on these pieces on mm-hmm. and for, you know, for your work, the educator, for my work, the parents, and that we can do it in a way that's, that's not shaming being mm-hmm. well-received while also still providing a ton of actual practical tools mm-hmm. that exactly. we can make, you know, we can, we've found a way to bring all of these things together. And what I think is true. And I think I'm hearing you say this in in your work as well is helping everybody feel really seen.
1: Yes. Yes. I love that quote from Oprah. I think she says, um, you know, every human being essentially just wants to be seen and to be heard. You know, like that's the most important universal um, motivating drive for humans is that we just need to be seen and we need to be heard. And, Um, and we also know that that's really critical to recovering from trauma as well. Yeah. So, um, I'm definitely trying to help these educators to feel seen. Um, I think they do feel it when they're, when they go through the professional development or when they, um, receive a toolkit. I mean, even when they receive a toolkit, which is, you know, filled with these amazing sensory tools that I've sort of selected, um, we call them field tested, But they feel really like, oh, my gosh, look at all this support from my nervous system that's in like a weighted scarf or like a cup of calming tea or an essential oil. And I mean, there's just all these, you know, sensory tools that are right there at their fingertips for them to use to help support them feeling safe and more comforted in the classroom environment. And then a lot of times they end up sharing them with the students. And the students love them. And that's that's what I want them to eventually want to do. But um yeah, it's. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's. I think it's vital right now for us to, uh, to to really see one another and yeah. to witness one another. Yeah.
0: And, and inside this, ex, you know, unbelievably, you know, stressful. Stress does not even seem like the right word. It seems so inadequate. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the, these experiences right now and what we're asking of our educators mm-hmm. right now seems different than ever before Mm -hmm. while still of course wanting them to meet that whatever criteria it is that they have to meet with you know academics and testing and all that Mm -hmm. kind of good stuff too Mm -hmm. and I can just imagine the the relief the relief that I know you know sets in with the nervous system when somebody does something or says something that lets you know like oh they get it Mm -hmm. Not even like, oh, they want to help me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is that comes next, but even just that moment. And sometimes we skip that moment of being seen and getting it and try to move right Mm -hmm. into providing the help Mm -hmm. and how important that moment is of, oh, Mm -hmm. you see me and you're assuming my best intentions. Like you go to these educators the same way I go to parents, which is like Mm -hmm. you want to you love kids like Right. You want to do this in a way that feels good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let me, you know, support you in that mm-hmm. goal, as opposed to telling people what they're doing is wrong. No.
1: Yeah. Well, they don't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that doesn't nobody ever likes heart. that. <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. It's so funny too, because a lot of times, I don't know if you experience this or not, but people will say to me. I honestly just want you to tell me what to do. And yep. I'm honest. I'm always like, yep. yeah, but you say that, yeah. but you actually don't really want that. It's yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I think it's so, very
0: regulating to be in relationship with somebody who seems so regulated that they could just tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I'm in that relationship, and this is how I train my students too, that's the, that when I'm with a parent who is really insisting, please just tell me what to do. That, mm-hmm. I will just kind of tell them what to do, knowing that it's not exactly the tools that I'm giving them that are going to go and be useful in their life. They might be, that'd be cool. But, um, but really what I think is useful is I asked somebody to just tell me what to do. And Mm -hmm. you stayed confident in that and showed me you do have some tools and ideas. And I think it's the same thing like it's just bringing a moment of seen and felt safety. Mm -hmm. And then once I'm with adults who are, you know, connecting with me and are getting that kind of thunk of regulation in their nervous system, Mm -hmm. because I gave them a couple ideas about what to do, Mm -hmm. then we can move into, you know, talking more about you know, the science of safety and connection and co-regulation and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it's just a fear based question that makes a lot of sense.
1: <laughs> well, and, and, and also I think in education in particular, I mean, people don't necessarily recognize it because it's always been this way, but um, teachers are actually told what to do with incredible um, detail. Yeah. And so they, yeah. act, many of them actually walk around, pretty defense mobilized in their nervous systems fearful that they're doing it wrong sure because they've been overtrained yes. and it's and the training is so um directed and didactic that yeah. they they're always like am i doing it right am i not doing it right it's, you know so for me when they say just tell me what to do the reason why I'm often reluctant to do that is because i'm wanting them to feel into the moment yeah. To, to actually take take inventory of how they're doing in the moment and that they know i'm not evaluating you know i'm not looking to evaluate that do you know because that's 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 a big part of public education is that you get evaluated chronically and it's it's been a it's been an injury to most educators nervous systems and so i'm trying to actually help them unlearn that <laughs> in the course of my training um yeah because yeah. they're, they're they're used to being told what to do and they actually don't really know what to do if they're not being told what to do
0: that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah yeah so it's it's, so it is a little bit different than maybe in the experiences that you have with students or with parents but yeah but it is funny I do think you know just tell me what to do is a default way of being when you're super overwhelmed absolutely just tell me what to do (laughs) Yeah. And the
0: trust in, and I can see how you're right. It is a little different in educators and, and parents, although, you know, I certainly see in parents too, the the over told what to do, right. With, with, you know, parenting Instagram accounts and it's like, so many people are constantly telling you exactly what to do and they're all contradicting and nobody, you know, that, that does absolutely cause this, this level of stress, but I can see exactly what you're saying in the educators and how there's this, you know over micromanaging of mm-hmm. every exactly. single thing and and when i think about what it feels like to be micromanaged yeah absolutely i get defense mobilized because it does mm-hmm. leave you with this sense of i will inevitably do this wrong and exactly. then i will be in trouble exactly yeah exactly that makes a lot of sense well this has just been so delightful for so many reasons getting to <laughs> reconnect with you just in general but then just You know, I I find it regulating myself to get reminded of all the other people out there in the world doing really important work. But all the people out there in the world who are who are so receptive Mm. to what you're offering, like all of Mm. that just feels so grounding and so regulating to me when I think about the impact of, of our work
1: it really is yeah. I mean honestly um Robin that is totally what keeps me going is yeah. those folks that say like learning about this stuff has changed my life like yes. not just my profession but it's changed my life yes and I I you know I don't I'm, I have far more self-compassion or I see my students differently or I see my husband differently or whatever it might be and it's exactly um it's so affirming to know that people really Find it honestly as healing as I think you and I have found it. Like it's just it's just healing to know that um, the things that we all struggle with are very human, and it doesn't mean that it's a personal failing. Because I mean, I certainly was raised on that um, concept of you know personal discipline, and that all behavior was sort of a reflection of your 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 capacity for personal discipline. Like can you control yourself? You know, I mean that's how I was raised. It's yeah. like, God, control yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and so when you didn't when you didn't or you couldn't, you felt you felt like a failure and you felt ashamed. And that was the point. So yeah, I think it's it is very affirming to feel like people are are, are grabbing onto this and running with it and to to know that um, you know, we're helping to support a new paradigm. New paradigm to 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 understand one another and to understand ourselves differently.
0: I'll definitely make sure everybody knows exactly how to find you down in the show notes. But your website is the regulated classroom now, is that right?
1: It's regulatedclassroom.com. Okay, no, the. Okay.
0: Wait, let no me say problem. that again. Just, let me encode this into everyone's memories correctly. Regulatedclassroom.com.
1: Yes. I do Perfect. think if you put Perfect. in the, it's probably just probably I think I own that domain too. It'll just redirect. Just, yeah, Okay. But. And can um, the
0: toolkit oh. and the guidebook still be purchased individually?
1: Yes. Okay. So um so the guidebook comes inside the toolkit. So yes. if you buy the toolkit, it's the whole thing. Yes. Or you can just purchase the, the guidebook. Um yeah. And I strongly encourage people to check those out on the on on the um, website to see what that is. And also we've been making an active effort to grow our Instagram following, and so every day we're posting, practically every day anyways, we're posting tips and reminders and fun little videos, and Maple My Dog is a regular feature and a beloved feature on the Instagram Reels, and so that's been a fun place to be building as well. So we have a small community. Nothing like yours yet, Robin, but I'm working on it, so I encourage folks to follow us on Instagram and Facebook.
0: Yes, your Instagram right now is on fire. I've definitely noticed yeah. that lots of good stuff
1: coming yeah. out of that.
0: And you travel wherever yeah. and do yeah, virtual I trainings do. for I, educators? Correct. In schools. Correct.
1: So I do international travel and I do domestic travel, um, presenting, and yeah, and I do virtual work as well. So folks are interested, please reach out to me. My email is emily at hearthisnow.org h e r e t h i s n o w dot Um, or you can just, you know, fill out the contact information on the website and we'll get back to you lickety split. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well,
0: thanks for taking your time this morning and that we had time to just chat beforehand too. (laughs) It was fantastic. (laughs) And again, Oh, always such a delight to, like I said, just, just connect with folks who are out there doing the same work with same, the same mission and the same values. It's, it really, I think is, is crucial for us to stay in contact with each other, like us as a global community and continue to just keep inspiring one another to keep chugging along. So thank you for everything that you do and we will do this again soon.
1: Thank you, Robin. Thank you so much. Great to chat.